I am Danika. And I am Myra. And this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness. A space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here, we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing. While also giving you the work along the way. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Hey, y'all. I am here to announce that our book, Let's Heal, a workbook designed for Black women with various modalities by your co-host, Danika and Myra, is now at a storefront. And so the storefront is Urbana Goods. It's a community store that brings an upgraded experience of connecting with the community uh, with small crafting gatherings and workshops and supporting other local businesses by housing and selling their merchandise, such as us. And they even sell some of your typical items from the local convenience store. Like y'all, I literally bought some body butter, hair products, and a cute purse all from this store, just to give you a little example. So when you have some time, check out Urbana Goods. It's located in Guardina, California. The actual address is 1756 West El Segundo, Guardina, California, 90249. You can put it in your GPS, whatever you need to do, but go ahead and make your way there and check us out. Hey y'all, we're back with another episode of Black Women Healing Pod. And today, as usual, we have a special guest. But before we get started introducing the special guest, let's start with a random discussion. All right, random discussion. Um, we had a little small chat before getting on the uh, on this session today. So what is your favorite Sunday meal? Um, on Sunday, typically... It is seems to be rest and relax for most people. So on Sunday, we usually eat. So what's your favorite meal on Sunday? Myra, what are you thinking? I don't have a favorite Sunday meal. I have a favorite Sunday drink, I would say. Um, I typically like to go to the smoothie shop on the corner and get a pomegranate smoothie. If I don't go get it, then I like to make it. But I don't really have a meal on Sundays. Now you got me thinking like I'm missing out. Hmm. I mean, a drink is good though a smoothie that does sound really good too and refreshing yeah mm-hmm. what about you oh uh, I mean I guess immediately what pops in mind is my mom's like meatloaf cabbage uh mashed potatoes and cornbread oh <laughs> mm. uh, that sounds like a Sunday dinner for sure or pot roast mm. uh, and cornbread like but for sure, the meatloaf. I don't know. And I've had, I, I made that not that long ago. I feel like on a Sunday. And I think that's why I stuck in my head. But it's like comfort food. Like when you eat that type of food, you just want to like <laughs> relax, take a when nap. I want some now. I love a good meatloaf. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Esther? So um, I, my family's Ghanaian. Uh-huh. And so I've been on the road, so I just really felt like some good African comfort food. So anybody knows for me, that's sardines, some nice boiled sweet potatoes, fried plantain, or as plantain as the Jamaicans say it, plantain, the Ghanaians and the West Africans say it. There's always a fight about that. Some nice fresh done, my onions, my fresh garlic, my fresh tomatoes, habanero or scotch bonnet pepper, mm. all just all those smells and scents. I just had myself two big old plates <laughs> just before I came on the call. <laughs> sounds good. Mm. It was good. It does it was sound good. delicious. Yes. All mm. the different flavors too. Yeah. Very tasty. And actually really, really nutritious because um, just of all the naturalness and, and um, I was definitely missing out on some 
from cooking and having been on the road, you don't mm. get to have that in, in just in the way that, you know, that I cook. So it was good to be at, uh, at home, my, my blood families, my chosen family's home and get to cook some, some good home African food for me. Yes. Well, that is amazing. Thank you both for engaging in that random discussion. So um, today you all will be discussing how untreated trauma shapes how we see ourselves and each other and may influence how we engage with one another. And we have Esther Armour today, and so I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. So Esther Armour is an international award-winning journalist, playwright, radio host, and writer. She is currently CEO and founder of the Armour Institute of Emotional Justice, a global institute implementing the emotional justice framework she created. The institute works on projects, training, and thought leadership. Esther's book is the number one new release on Amazon for six, street, six straight weeks in two different categories. So as you all can hear, Esther is doing her thing. So we are so pleased to have you here. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, how does trauma shape how we see ourselves? And so I want to be really specific because I talk about untreated trauma. Mm -hmm. um, because we as a uh, global mm -hmm. Black people, as global Black women, are dealing with a legacy of untreated trauma from the systems that built the world that we're in, right? So I'm talking to you from New Jersey. You guys are on the, on the West Coast. And we know this is a nation built on enslavement. And that structural um, system has its legacy. And all the traumas from that, the ongoing traumas, in so many ways, they remain untreated. We see them show up. And so um, that legacy of untreated trauma, it shapes how you see yourself and it shapes how we see and engage with other people. Why? Because the um, enslavement created these two deadly um, delusional fictions, two deadly fictions, the fiction of white superiority and the fiction of black inferiority. But when it comes to emotional justice, what I explore is how we internalize those fictions. So we may know intellectually that that, you know, we call BS and that we know that intellectually, but there's an internalized emotional connection to that. And so it shapes how we see ourselves and that manifests in how we move through the world, how we um, engage, how we show up for ourselves, how we show up for um, each other. Whether, no matter what sector you're speaking about, every sector has been shaped by the white supremacy that built this nation, the colonialism that built um, the UK and the continent. And so we're all dealing with how white supremacy shapes our blackness and how we create emotional connections to that white supremacy, even though our intellect, our education can tell us different, it's our emotional connection that needs the particular kind of work. That's what I write about, that's what I think about, that's what my institute does. How do we sever that connection in order that we can love ourselves and each other differently in a way that is more justice-centered and stop centering whiteness which is part of how untreated trauma manifests, that we center whiteness because that's how the, the narrative of whiteness has showed up and that's the way it shaped our world. And to follow up, um, we just wanna ask, how does it shape how we engage with others? So in two ways, um, when it comes to us as black women, one of the major ways it shows up is when it comes to work, when it comes to labor. 
um, we know that because of the systems of enslavement, there was massive disparities in labor. Your body was literally treated like property. The only value you had was in the labor that you did. And the way that um, the systems, those systems treated you, that it literally worked you to death. What that creates though, when I talk about the legacy of untreated trauma, it creates a relationship, an emotional connection to labor that is about value. So that means I value myself because of the productivity that I'm able to do, because of the work that I'm able to do, because of how much work that I'm able to do, because of how much more work that I can do than anybody else, because if I can do so much work, even if I'm exhausted, depleted, run down, burn out, can't move, can't wake up, can't slow down, but I pride myself and we pride ourselves as black women that we just keep going, we keep going, we keep going, and we celebrate that. What we call grind culture is really a manifestation of a legacy of untreated trauma, where your only value was seen as being part of a labor workforce. Outside of labor, you didn't have any value. For us as black women, that creates an emotional connection with, I value myself when I'm doing, and I'm not talking about work ethic, which is a, a great way to engage and to contribute and to build the world. I'm talking about the kind of labor where you're depleted and exhausted and burnt out, but you're, we're still celebrating that as, well, we're booked, blessed and busy, so we keep going. But actually, it is exactly how untreated trauma shows up. And then what happens is sometimes as Black women is we police each other if we want to try and do some rest and replenishment. It's like, oh, girl, you, you know, you, you are busy and booked and blessed. We celebrate a, a labor that is debilitating and we find it hard to rest part of how that untreated trauma manifests is we don't know how to rest. When I say rest, I don't mean take a break. I mean, have rest inculcated, like right inside of our working lives in a real ongoing, sustainable way. That's one of the ways that it shows up. Hmm. I really appreciate you for breaking that down because now you have me thinking about the different black women that I've been in conversation with and one in particular, one of my mentors, we've been having this ongoing conversation about how she just works herself so thin and like she struggles to not check her emails, even on like vacation. And I'm so proud of her for finally deciding like she's going to take a year off and just focus on doing nothing. And she was telling me how she's never done that before. And she's kind of scared. She doesn't know what's going to happen because she's like, I've always been doing something and now to have a break, I feel like I'm going to have to do something. And so I was encouraging her to like, get uncomfortable, be okay with being uncomfortable. And that's, I really appreciate you for breaking that down. Mm, mm. It's powerful. And, you know, part of what the work I'm trying to do is to, I feel like as black women, one of the things we have to actually learn what rest and replenishment looks like as part of our ongoing work lives, that is not an extracurricular activity, that is not the thing that you do when you're so exhausted, you literally can't move anymore and you just want to lay on the couch and don't, don't talk to me, don't bother me, I don't want to hear from you, I don't want to take a call. I'm not talking about that kind of rest and replenishment. I'm talking about what does it mean to include rest and replenishment in whatever the work it is that you do. Mm. Um, and that's a very different way than you work till you drop and then once you drop, you take a break. Do you know what I mean? Because the truth is, it's it's hard for many of us to, to, the idea of taking a year off is terrifying, but actually part of an emotional justice roadmap is about 
there's not the need to take a year off because we started to incorporate wellness, rest and replenishment in the way that we work. Mm -hmm. And once you start to do that, there is a balance in your work life. You recognize that labor is a part of your life and effective constructive labor requires well-rested, you know, energized bodies. And people can say, well, that's like a no brainer. And we can know that, like I said, intellectually, we can know that that makes sense, but it is our emotional relationship to labor. That's the thing that's invested in, but my value is connected to my productivity. So then if I'm not producing, who am I? What value do I have? Yeah. Who, am, who, who's, who thinks that I'm important? Do I think I'm important? Um, and we as black women do it to ourselves, but then we engage with one another. First of all, we're, we're so celebratory of the grind and we are nervous about rest in a way that is connected to our historical legacy of untreated trauma that said labor, um, the kind of labor that enables you to go harder, go faster than anybody else is the thing that makes you just valuable. And so now that is how we measure ourselves. And so resting and replenishment, there's a whole unlearning we have to do and there's a whole learning we have to do for sure. Yeah, I agree. What are some ways to identify trauma in your adult life that may have taken place when you were a child? So I think that there's two things. With emotional justice, I talk specifically about recognizing that the challenge that we have, we, we kind of treat racial healing as a one and done. So we're like, okay, we have things in childhood that we have to heal. We have things that happened as an adult that we have to heal. And part of what I'm saying is that you have your contemporary community of your family that you were born into and the circumstances within which you were raised, but they sit on top of existing untreated traumas that are part of the system that shaped this country. And so what emotional justice is saying is that we need an ongoing racial healing that isn't like a one and done, I've done therapy for six months, I'm good, let's keep it moving. I'm not talking about that and, and we're not therapists, that's not how we work. We're talking about how do you transform systems and structures so that they honor the, um, the way that our bodies, our spirits, our minds have been used and abused without thought or care for who we became as a result of that. So what does that look like? So for example, we all know that, that phrase, strong black woman, but we also know the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But you put those two phrases together when it comes to us to a black woman, you're literally saying that nothing about her is human. And that is how the trauma shows up. The denial of humanity means the denial of your emotionality. So the emotions that make you human, your anger, your sadness, your vulnerability, the ability to express that, to be met with empathy as a result of just expressing feelings that make you human. When I talk about emotional justice, that humanity the, um, is now racialized. You add race to it and then you put gender on top of it. Instead of human, human emotions that we all have, you now have racialized emotions. And then the body in which those emotions are racialized become the target of ongoing violence. So then whatever challenges and trauma you've had within your own family space, community space, you walk into the world and you meet all the other untreated traumas that are the result of how we've been treated as a people. So emotional justice is about 
structural change. It's about racial healing within organizations, within institutions, transforming cultures in places of um, work, whatever that is, places of learning, so that we actually center the lived experience of black and brown folks. Um, we center the lived experience of black women and the history that comes from that. Why? Because what happens when you center that experience, it automatically transforms how you engage. What does that mean? So it means that when you are engaging with um, a black woman who is um, angry, you recognize immediately there's a legitimacy to her anger. So instead of what happens, which is the judgment of her anger as a professional, there's an empathy towards um, her and a humanity about what might be the source of that, what kind of care might that woman need and how might that care be resourced within our structure. But taking that on on an individual approach, but an institutional way. We saw that with COVID. Of course, COVID really highlighted already existing oppressions and traumas and the disparities within systems that disproportionately impact us. We saw that right in massive, massive ways. One of the things that that creates is an understanding in emotional justice, we talk about the emotional labor that black women do in particular, and that that emotional labor is uncounted, it's unnamed, it's unrecognized, it's unappreciated, but it's always expected. And if it isn't done, there is a judgment, there is a harshness, there is a, um, a weaponizing against that woman because of the refusal to do that kind of emotional labor. And I talk about it historically, I talk about the danger of us becoming what I call emotional mammies. Now we know historically the mammy was the, the dark Southern skin, usually large sister who would look after a white family look after the children and it made her happy to do that and she made sure everybody was okay nobody thought about the fact well she might have her own family her own children her own community that she's left to now look after this community and that was her entire world the emotional mammy is about black women any hue any shape any size black women across the board who are expected to take to look after the feelings of men centrally white men but all men no matter the cost or the consequence to that woman, her well-being, and her needs. And these are the ways that our emotions, our emotionality have to be looked at when it comes to this legacy of untreated trauma. This is part of the work that we do in creating projects and thought leadership and training that's about unlearning that and implementing fresh ways for organizations to actually resource care rather than tell black women that they should be more resilient. Resilience is about individual character. Resourcing care is understanding we need institutional change. Difference matters. Can you say that last part one more time? The resilience, <laughs> what, what the, the difference of those two words mean? Yes. So what black women need is resourced care um, as opposed to to be more resilient in their character. Resource care is about institutional change. More resilience in your character is about individual change. Mm -hmm. And emotional justice is saying it's institutions that need to change. It's institutional harms that mm -hmm. keep really um, shaping the outcomes for Black women. So yes. crucial. Thank you so much. We talk about it a lot. I feel like Myra most definitely is a, uh, a big 
of supportive of like not always saying you know black women are resilient 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 so um I like the way that you know you discuss that um so you talk about untreated trauma of an emotional labor in specific so I'm just wondering do you think that the definition of trauma can change over time for people and if so like what do you think about this uh, so I just want to say a couple of things. With just just to, on the last point about resilience, Black people are literally the most resilient people on the planet. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that when it comes to racial healing, people are using, they're weaponizing resilience rather than recognizing we need resource. Mm-hmm. That you, that nobody, because the thing about resilience is people say resilience is about bouncing back from a difficult circumstance. I'm saying, I call BS. You don't bounce back from trauma. There needs to be resourced care, recognizing that this is an institutional harm that is the result of hundreds of years of disparity and brutality. And so that requires resource. It doesn't need resilience. White supremacy is extraordinarily resilient. And we never call that by its name. That's because it keeps morphing into things that are really, really problematic. But um, Black people are resilient. Is resilience is no longer our answer. Resourced care is for sure. Um, to your point about trauma, I don't think it's a question of trauma being redefined. I think it's a question of untreated trauma being recognized and named for what it is. And the challenge that we have is what we do, right, is we say, okay, so there's some trauma in this space and this community in this organization that we need to figure out and we need to heal. This is our program. Everybody's gone on the program. Tick the box. We're all good. Let's go. We treat racial healing like a 140 character tweet. I've done the tweet. I press send. Y'all ain't healed. Why, why come you're not healed? You should be healed by now. And that totally disrespects and disregards the reality of the history that miraculously still enables us to be here. It is a disregard of the brutality of white supremacy and how it shapeshifts so that whatever it was historically, it may be different now, but its impact continues to be felt on both black and white people. And because it does, we, we will consistently need a sustainable racial healing model. And um, part of what I'm saying is that our historical racial healing model has been the one in South Africa, right? The Truth and Re- Racial, um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That's our historical model. And historically, it made sense. We need a new model for our present time that recognizes the urgency of this moment. That's what emotional justice is. It's about recognizing the urgency of the moment. It's about recognizing that we need resource care that this is about institutional change, that black women have healing to do, white women have work to do, and that disparity is important. And we work with both, and we say it all the time. There is work you all have to do that you have simply never done, and we treat racial healing like if black people would just be fixed, everything would be fine. I call BS, that's never been the case. And what what that allows white supremacy to do is consistently say to black people, well, y'all are the problem. If you would just do A, B, C, D, this would no longer be an issue. In emotional justice, we say every demographic has work to do. Black women, black men, white women, white men. 
white women have a particularly um, a, a serious amount of work to do because in terms of emotional work and what we call the language of whiteness they just never done any work they've never done any work and in this moment the urgency of now requires them to step up and do work that hasn't been done before we all have what i call unlearning the language of whiteness and the language of whiteness this narrative that we've all been taught right that says whiteness is the world whiteness built the world whiteness saves the world and we as black and brown people were savages that needed to be saved and civilized we know that that's bs but that is literally the narrative that is still taught to this day and it shapes how people see themselves so you have white kids who still see themselves as i'm the leader i'm not your brother i'm the leader i'm not the conquered i'm the conqueror i'm not the ruled i'm the ruler now that bs shapes how people see themselves and the expectation that they should always be in power all of that is part of the legacy of untreated trauma so unlearning that transforming that is part of our work for sure wow thank you so much for explaining that um i'm just loving the way that like the this perspective you have and just like the work that you're doing with emotional justice like it's it's refreshing to hear I feel like I haven't heard it I kind of feel like <laughs> I kind of feel like that I'm in a uh informative lecture in a good way though um because I love to learn <laughs> and I feel like I haven't I haven't heard these perspectives right so I, it's very it's refreshing for me um, and so what I'm thinking of is because you talk about like untreated trauma, right? And so you've, mm -hmm. you've, you've, you've thrown out little pieces, but what does treated trauma then look like, right? So treated trauma is about a sustainable racial healing. It's just that simple because this 300, this 400, this 500 years worth of untreated trauma that we have to deal with as a country. So treated trauma, it's not like it's a one and done. I've treated the trauma and I'm done. No, it is a sustained racial healing model. It's a sustainable racial healing. So what does that mean? It means that where we are, we're no longer a center in whiteness. We center black women. We center whoever's the most marginalized in that particular group, they get centered. When you center black women, when you center um, black people, it transforms how any organization works. And when you're doing that kind of centering, that's not about policy. You know, there's um, DEI policy that always says, well, we have zero tolerance of racial discrimination. We don't tolerate. We have, you know, we uh, welcome everybody. It has all this language. And with emotional justice, we say, well, that policy is good intentions, right? But we look at the outcome and you measure the success of whether this space is inclusive by the experience of whoever is the most marginalized in that organization. Mm. And that's how you're treating the trauma because then you have a sustained racial healing model that, that on, in an ongoing way centers the lived experience of black women. We don't have that. What we have are these box ticking exercise. Did you do the training? Done the training? Tick that box. Wait, did you do the training? You've done the training? Four days? three weeks, two weeks, did you tick the box, box ticked? Okay, what's the issue? Mm -hmm. And no racial healing model comes out of um, that space. Cause you cannot PhD your way out of untreated trauma. Mm -hmm. You cannot, mm -hmm. it doesn't work. 
It never has. It won't now. Um, it needs to be a sustainable model. Also because white people are having to unlearn what it means to always be centered. It's not an experience that they know. An ongoing treating of trauma. So there is no one and done. It's ongoing. It took 500 years and we're still standing in a particular place. So I'm talking about a sustainable model that's over generations. It's our generation, the next generation, the next generation. And I always think about people say, well, how is that possible? I said, listen, when Harriet Tubman decided to run for freedom, she had no idea what she was building when she ran. She just knew that she was aiming towards freedom. Mm. And now we look back literally hundreds of years later and we talk about the movement that she created. Did she know she was creating a movement when she ran? She knew that she wanted freedom. And that's how emotional justice treats racial healing, that we need a racial healing that takes account of the extent to which we've been harmed, to which we've been harmed. So that means there's no box that anybody's gonna build that they can tick that's gonna somehow mean that we're healed as a people. It's not possible. So it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing um, reality. That's what we're really looking at. That's what we're really dealing with. Absolutely. Um, what are some, I mean, cause it sounds like that, um, it sounds like these are system issues and even like, it sounds like companies and corporations and like more for bigger systems on an individual level, when people start identifying identifying the untreated trauma, what are some beginning steps that they can do to start putting into action? So, yeah, so it's always individual connected to institutional. So as um, um, we're three Black women sitting on this um, podcast right now on this Zoom thing. So I would say to you both, how do you um, bring rest and replenishment into your life? If you're working on a particular project, how do you, the same way you, you plan for your team, you plan your deadlines, you plan, what are my project activities? What am I gonna try and do by ABCD? One of the things that emotional justice is, okay, and so plan your rest and plan your replenishment in the life cycle of that project. And for many of us as black women, that takes some work just because it's just not something we've ever thought about. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I got the job to get done. I got to get it done. When it gets done, I can, I can rest then. All of us think that way. Do you know what I mean? That's why I say no shade, no judgment with emotional justice. We are truly all in this together, truly. Um, and so when somebody says, okay, but wait, what is your rest and replenishment? How are you making sure that at the end of that project, you're energized, you're good to go and you can keep going. Um, what does that look like? Uh, and I mean, beyond sleep is not how we define replenishment because sleep is part of your humanity. And because black women are so committed to getting the job done, for us stopping to really think through what replenishes us and what is rest is a particular kind of work. And one of the things we always ask black women is we say, so where did you learn your work ethic? Where did you learn grind? Who did you watch in your family who was working at a particular level and that was the way you had to do it? Who taught you that? Because we were all taught by someone. There's the history of the society in which we live and there's a way that history manifests in our homes, in our households, with the people that we love who are around us. And some, some of us need to unlearn that in order to have a different experience, in order to say, okay, um, I have four deadlines and I don't know how I'm gonna get this done. 
And so the idea that you would, okay, so I simply cannot meet those deadlines and I need to put A, B, C, D in place in order for me to be well, is an alien concept for a lot of black women. And so, but we, our racial healing is about how do we begin to center rest and replenishment in our lives because that's redefining our relationship to work. Instead of I measure my success by how hard I've worked, I measure my value by how I'm able to ensure that I'm rested and replenished as I'm moving through doing this project. And if at the end of it, I'm rested and I'm replenished and I'm energized, that's how I'm gonna measure success. For black women, that's a whole bunch of unlearning to do, but that is emotional justice for sure. Wow, Esther, this is like, <laughs> this is my favorite episode, Danica. <laughs> good. Like, I was not expecting this. Oftentimes, we get people who reach out and like we're learning a lot, but I feel like sometimes it's kind of hard for me to understand what they're trying to tell me. And the way you're breaking things down, it's very digestible, it's very relatable. I could take things that you've said and tell someone else what we just talked about. So I'm really appreciating the way you're breaking this down and the way you're calling BS (laughs) and you're you're like, this is what we should be doing. This is what we could be doing. This is how we measure it. This is how we know that it's working. This is how we know it's not. And I appreciate that. Like, this is good. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you saying that because I think it's really, you know, important if we have a racial healing that we can't break down to ourselves and each other, how do we use it? If we can't break it down to each other, you know what I mean? Like how, how are we going to use it? Thank and, you. Um, um, and so in the, in the, in the book, yes. um, that's really the work that I do is to break it down. I want to explain what it is, give it names, give it language so that we know what we're saying. So when I say to black women, okay, what we, what we're not going to do is become emotional mammies to this organization then because I've explained what emotional mammy is, we have language that's about, oh yeah, you know, that's when I'm just taking care of these um, men, but it's costing me my health. It's costing me my dreams. It's costing me this. And if I matter and if I have value, then I can't be an emotional mammy and they can't keep asking me to be an emotional mammy. But now I have language for what it is to be in service like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's what emotional justice is giving us, language to break down and explain what, what it is we're trying to build in order to, in order to change. But also it's saying that we do this in community because it's too, because it's too hard by ourselves and it's more fun in company, let's just be honest. You know what I mean? And you you can have your moment where you're, where you're like, okay, I really don't understand this. I don't know what this means. I don't know why I started this particular journey. This is a whole crop. This is too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. You can have that moment. And then your sisters can be like, okay, emotional justice said we would reach this because we're unlearning a way of being that is generations in. You know what I mean? That grind is generations deep. Unlearning it is hard. And then we have our own internal voices, like, girl, get off that couch. You still sleeping? You still, what do you mean you resting and replenishing? We've got ish to do. And we all do that. And so um, that's stop stopping talking that kind of guilting voice that 
why are you still resting? Why are you still on the couch? You're just lazy. All of that language is the language of whiteness. The narrative that your only value is labor. What, you ain't working? You still on that couch? All of that, you know what I mean? And, and we know the difference between, okay, you seriously are not doing any work versus I'm trying to ensure that as I'm doing my work, I'm getting replenishment. I'm getting rest. I'm getting what I call resourced care. And I'm also asking for it. So, so many black women are working in service. We're in service to other organizations, communities to make sure they're well. It's part of what we do. I say black women are the, the both the warriors, W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S, the warriors of black communities and also the warriors, W-O-R-R-I. Like we worry ourselves about where we are, where we're going, what is the state of the black community. That's part of how we, how we move. And who is worrying about the warriors? We have to do that in a way that we've never done before because our healing, our health and our lives are on the line in a way that they've always been on the line. But in this moment, every generation has its work to do. And part of our generation's work is to focus on what it means to be well, to walk healing paths and to pass them along to each other, you know, as we learn. So we do it in community, we do it in company. Um, that's our ancestral way. It's way more fun, let's just be honest. And isolation is not part of a healing, a racial healing model that emotional justice engages, for sure. Thank you. As we wrap up, we always ask our guests if they have any takeaways for our listeners. So you can share whatever you'd like. Um, Black women don't have a thing left to prove to the world about a single thing. There is not a thing left undone that we haven't done, try to do, try to build, try to improve on. Emotional justice is saying, sis, do you is part of what racial healing looks like. But do you is not about, it's not necessarily about even a new adventure. Do you means what does it mean to bring rest and replenishment into my life in a sustainable, um, effective way. And that's one takeaway. The other takeaway is buy the book and get a book for a friend. <laughs> well, Esther, we thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to get this book. I think that we should make it a podcast episode to censor just this book and to go more in depth and talk about it. Me and Donika have a conversation, our experience about it. So I think that's what we're going to be doing soon. Oh, that'd be great. You know, there's a love language just for black women called intimate revolution. So um, if that's a, a, a podcast episode, we could literally, and it literally centers about um, black women. I've touched on a little bit, but it goes into much more depth. So that might be a conversation that we would want to have. I would love to come back. Oh, yes. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Excellent. Well, we thank you so much. Donnie, did you want to add anything? No, I think you summed it all up. Like, I, I know this is an episode that I'm going to listen to over a few times. Um, <laughs> just because it's so much information. And like Myra said, very digestible. Um, and something I, I want to hear again. Like, I want to hear this whole conversation again already. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm very thankful and grateful that, um, we got to meet with you today. I am too. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really would love to 
come back. And so, yeah, if you, once you've had a chance to um, look at those, particularly those chapters, like I said, the one on an intimate revolution that is really centers black women, 100%. Each demographic has their own chapter and um, I'd love to come back. So I'll, I'll leave it open, we'll leave the door open. Like yeah. Anderson Pack, leave the door open. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a great day. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It's a pleasure, sister. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Enjoy your Sunday. Take care. All right, y'all. In relation to this episode, as it talked a lot about like resilience and resource care. So I'm only going to promote my resilient tea, of course. That makes the most sense. So I will be having my resilient tea for the fifth year in a row. And it will be on December 11th at the Velvery in Beverly Hills. Um, more information on that, if you purchase a ticket, you can buy a ticket from the link in our bio. It's a very beautiful venue. If you hurry up and get a ticket, you might be able to get a discount. So you might wanna check that out. Tickets sell out really fast. Um, so I would check that out. And I also just wanted to highlight something that Esther said that I wrote down and she said, did Harriet Tubman know she was creating a movement when she ran? No, she just ran. And I think I'm actually going to make that into like a little graphic and print that out for myself. I like that a lot. What about you, Danica? Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, and what Esther's saying and talking about this resting, replenishing and, and continuing to heal Black Women Healing Pod, we also have an event coming up. And so it's going to be Saturday, December 10th at Urbana Goods, which is in Gardena, California. Um, and Basically, we're going to continue. We're going to continue doing some healing. We have some activities lined up. Um, so if you can go ahead and purchase your tickets, uh, we actually are offering two different tickets, a $15 and $35. Uh, one of them includes our uh, healing workbook. So if you haven't already got that, that's the one you for sure want to get. Um, but yeah, we got some exciting things going on and we're excited to actually get to meet with y'all in person. It's been so long. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, thanks for joining for this uh, week's episode. We'll see you next week.